You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Well, as we begin this morning, I'll just remind us of something that happened in our past, uh, far past. On September 12, 1962, then-President John F. Kennedy gave what has been uh, now noted as one of the most historic speeches in the history of our nation. That speech was communicated to some 35,000 people in Houston, Texas, in Rice University's football stadium. And that speech we now know is the, the man on the moon speech. Um, what President Kennedy did that day as he communicated to not just 35,000 people, but actually to the nation, is he, um, he presented a dream um, a vision. Actually, what he did was he created a storyline for our nation that we would move into. Um, and it was a bit competitive that we were going to be the first uh, country to place someone on the moon. Uh, and there were many reasons surrounding that. But uh, with that came great excitement, great expectation as he cast that vision or he created that storyline that day. Um, without a dream, without a vision, Without a storyline for the future, those who are going to be involved in the future find it challenging to know how to move forward or to embrace that future. Would you agree with that? In other words, what's, what's expected of me? What's required of me? What does the future look like? And so the, the dream, the vision, the storyline is very important. Uh, we also remember, if you were here last weekend, that Pastor Farrell, by way of video, uh, created, I guess, more than a dream, but the vision or the storyline for the future of Grace Covenant Church, as he talked about both in the Cornelius campus and, and here in East Lincoln, um, uh, that there's a, God has called us to a great future. And in both of those situations, there is a building uh, that's going to be erected. But I want to say once again, that's not really our call. Our call isn't about a building that's going to be built, but it's about the people that we're going to touch with the transformative power of Jesus. And that building will uh, afford the opportunities. Um, and then I was able to follow up on that, that vision cast that he gave uh, with a teaching from uh, Joshua, chapter 1. We looked at nine verses, and uh, I drew out four what I would say were necessary uh, principles for us to effectively move into to embrace our future. So we, we talked about that. And then um, as we talked about that, we, we were looking at the future of the church as a whole. Uh, today, I want to continue to uh, stay with that focus, but I want to expand it a little bit. I just want to tell you this on the front side, that I want to expand it to be able to talk about our future personally. Um, but we have to understand what is required of us, and that's what that storyline does. Um, since my time here, uh, it's been, I guess, close to three months now, something that I did from the very beginning is I began to uh, ask God to show me um, a dream, uh, a vision, a storyline for the future of the East Lincoln campus. Now, it's important when I say that, that in doing that, I recognize that as a church, we are one church meeting in multiple locations, that God has given a vision for Grace Covenant. So when I talk about uh, God giving me a dream or a storyline, I'm talking about more of a, in a geographical region. In other words, 
um, because God has placed us, and it's only 12 miles, basically, from the, from the Cornelius campus, but we are in a different geographical region. So because of that, God will allow us different opportunities so that while we're in alignment with the vision of Grace Covenant, that because we're in a different location, the opportunities that will come will cause us to, to approach ministry in different ways. Um, and I think that that would just be a common understanding. So um, I began to have conversation early on with our, 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 our staff, our ministry team here. For instance, I talked to Pastor Nick, and I said, Pastor Nick, what would your storyline be for the future of youth ministry here at Grace Covenant? What do you foresee in the future? What's the picture that you have in your mind? What is the God-given picture as you begin to formulate? What is it you're moving towards? And again, that storyline gives him something to move towards, and that storyline has to come from God. Um, with Pastor Mallory. Pastor Mallory, what do you see as the future? What is the storyline for children's ministry here at Grace Covenant as it comes into alignment with the vision of the church? But how does it play out here? And we do that throughout the staff. And so I began to do that very early on, almost from my inception in time here. I just began to ask God, what does the future look like for us here in East Lincoln as Grace Covenant Church? And um, as I began to pray and ponder that, I, this week, I took some time and I, and I put it to paper. And I want to read that to you this morning. Um, I want to say that this is a living letter. It's not a formalized document that's being published or anything. I, I, I want you to see into my heart a little bit as I look to the future about ministry that will take place here. And I can't say it enough. I don't want to be misunderstood in this. It does not misalign with the vision of Grace Covenant Church as a whole. But it's how I see ministry playing out here in these things. So I'd just like to read this to you. I see a church that has been strategically, but even more importantly, divinely placed in the eastern portion of East Lincoln County as an extension of the vision, mission, and ministry of Grace Covenant Church. I see a multi-generational church that is, uh, is a balanced makeup of a diverse group of people representing all seasons of life and all continuums and levels of spiritual growth. In our church, a passionate, personal pursuit of God is seen, not simply as an effective way of life, but the only way uh, to the fullness of life that God has planned for each of us as his children. I see a church that is casual, warm, and welcoming to those who enter the doors. I see friendly people who create an atmosphere that makes it easy to connect with one another. I see people who are inclusive of others in heart, attitude, spirit, and action. I see people who are continuously falling in love with and deepening their love for Jesus. I see people who are desperately seeking to know and understand what it means to follow him and are becoming increasingly obedient to what the Holy Spirit is revealing about how to be like him. I see people who, because of their passionate pursuit of God, have a passion to experience the transformative power of Jesus Christ and are experiencing continuous spiritual growth. I see a church where broken people can come and feel safe and supported while they rest and walk out their journey to healing and wholeness in Jesus Christ. I see a church of spiritual champions who are coming alongside one another, modeling life in Jesus for one another. I see the young teaching the older and the older teaching the younger. I see great honor and respect among all the generations, and this is confirmed through our recognition that we all have something to contribute. I see people who passionately pursue and honor God through participation in heartfelt worship. I see people creating an atmosphere personally and in our gatherings where the Holy Spirit longs and loves to dwell. I see people who welcome the Holy Spirit 
anticipate the Holy Spirit's presence and expect the work of the Holy Spirit in simple, practical, transformative, and miraculous ways. I see a church that continues to teach our children and youth godly, biblical principles of love and life that are counter to what an ungodly culture diligently seeks to lure to and saturate them in. I see those truths being taught in such a passionate and relevant way that not only are they taught, but they are caught and embraced as the only way of life for the endurance of their years. I see a church that is not only growing spiritually, but is also growing in number. I see a church that is continually being renewed and refreshed by the addition of young married couples and families. By the same token, I see a church that is being refreshed and renewed by the addition of those who are experiencing life in their singleness, widowhood, empty nest, retirement, and silver years. I see a church in which not anyone within any of these groups feels excluded, unwanted, or that there is no place for their season, personality, giftings, and wisdom. I see a church that is experiencing numerical growth, not for the sake of numbers, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. I see a church that practices the spirit of generosity and is always willing to generously resource the work of the kingdom of which we are part. I see a church made up of people who not only understand that they have something to offer, but they willingly, do, uh, they willingly do something with what they have been given as they love God and serve others actively. I see a people who joyfully and willingly step into opportunities to serve within the church. I see a church made up of people who are actively serving the community in which we've been placed, recognizing that we have been commissioned by God to carry a story into our neighborhoods, workplaces, schools, and communities I see a church that is willing to go beyond their neighborhoods and out into the worlds that seem beyond their reach. The church I see is Grace Covenant Church, and in particularly, the people that I see are the people who make up this campus in the East Lincoln region. And that's my heart. That's my vision. That's my dream for the church. And you'll see it really is not in misalignment with the vision as a church, but it's how we'll begin to or continue to uh, pursue ministry as God gives us opportunities that are very relevant to the place that he's placed us in. Last week, um, if you remember, uh, we acknowledged and we agreed that God has a great future for us. And... um, With that, I would like to add, as I said, I want to continue to focus on that, but I want to expand the focus a little bit by saying, um, not only has God given a great future, provided a great future, or planned a great future for us as a church, but he's planned a great future for us as individuals. And here's why. The church is made up of people, right? Not just buildings. It's not made up of buildings at all. The church is made up of people. And if the church is made up of people and God has planned a great future for the church, then that means that first he's planned a great future for us as individuals. And for each person in this room, the future that God has planned for you is very different. It's very unique. Your purpose, what God has called you to, how you will live out uh, the transformative power of Jesus will be different based on where God's placed you, how he's uh, gifted you, your abilities, your personality. That's just going to happen. But what happens is we corporately or we join that together and we become a great force for what God is doing in and through us in this region. Would you agree with that? Yeah, we can't think of anything else. To be positioned to embrace the great future that God has for us as a church and personally means that we have to prepare today for what he's planned for us tomorrow. 
And we talked last week that that takes spiritual preparation. That takes mental preparation. It takes practical preparation. It takes emotional preparation. It's interesting um, that for us, typically, when we really begin to consider the future that God has for us personally, when we begin to consider what God has called us to, uh, so often, at least for me, I can think that's not possible. That's just not possible. When I think about the personal call on my life, when I think about the things that I know God's called me to, my first thought is, I, I can't do that. And you know what? I can't. I can't. Within my human natural abilities, I can't afford it. I, I, I'm just I'm not able. And that's why it requires that as we recognize the personal call that God has placed on each one of us, that we do so with complete dependence on the Holy Spirit empowering us, recognizing that we weren't called to do it ourselves. That we were called to do this through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and then joining together. Uh, When we look at the situations that God will present us with and we think that that's impossible, what we have to remember is that God works greatest in human limitations. God works greatest in our human limitations. In other words, when we think, I can't do it, we're in a right place because that places us in a place of being completely dependent on God. What we see as problems... God sees as opportunities, right? He never sees a problem. He just says, I got it covered. I've empowered you. If I've called you for it, I'm going to give you everything that you need. You just have to have faith to believe that I'm really, you're you're worthy of doing it. You're worthy of my call. Um, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to open up to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Um, We find a great example of God working beyond human limitations in the story that we're going to read. John chapter 6, about 13 verses. Um, As you're turning there, as always, I want to just give you a little context of the passage. Um, Jesus has been with people uh, doing miraculous work continuously. Um, He has also sent the disciples out on their own mission, uh, and they've come back to him, and now they're giving him the reports. This is what happened while we were out on the mission. Um, And then they decide, uh, you know what, this is my imagination, We've we've been busy, we've been with people, let's pull back and let's have a time of solitude. And we know that Jesus was continually having times of solitude because that's where he was meeting with the Father. That's where he was hearing from the Father. So Jesus and the disciples got in a boat and they took a four-mile journey across the lake and they went to Bethsaida. The people had been with Jesus. They saw the miracles that he was doing and they wanted to continue to be with him. So what they did is while Jesus and the disciples went four miles across the lake by boat, they decided they wanted to be with him. So they took the long route around the boat. They say it was about nine miles. They took off on foot and they joined them later. And so Jesus and the disciples had been in a time of solitude. The crowd come from their nine-mile journey. They joined them, and when Jesus saw them, he had great compassion on them because of the need that he saw. So let's read about it. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? 
He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered and said, answered him, Eight months' wages would not be enough to buy bread for each one to have a bite. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how, how far would that go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down. Now think about this. It says there was about 5,000 of them. So the miracle that Jesus is getting ready to do is, is greater than just feeding 5,000 because there was 5,000 men plus their families. He says, um, Jesus said, have the people all sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they, had, when they all, had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, Gather up the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So it's interesting. While the disciples panicked over the number in the crowd... Jesus, by contrast, saw this as an opportunity to grow the disciples' faith, to reveal his power, and to uh, show his ability, his miraculous ability, both to the disciples and to the people who gathered. Um, The future that God has called us to personally. Let me say it this way. The future that God has called you to, as if you, if you were the only one sitting in this room and I were talking to you, I would say the future that God has called you to personally. And that applies to all of us. So the future that God has called us to personally, as well as the, the future of the church, what he's called us to is to display the miraculous work of Jesus wherever we go. Amen. In order to... Uh, be vessels of the miraculous work of God, we have to prepare for that miraculous work to flow through us. And so the question is, how do we do it? And again, uh, what I want to do is pull, you call them principles, lessons, whatever you want to call them, I want to pull four significant things from this passage that would help us understand how to prepare the way for the miraculous. And I'll begin with this. Preparing the way for the miraculous means understanding that people are not attracted to us. They are attracted to the Jesus in us. Crowds gather where Jesus is present. Let me say that again. People are not attracted to you, to me. If I at any point think that people are coming to Grace Covenant East Lincoln because of me, I'm off track. But I do hope that people would come because they see Jesus in me. If at any point you think, oh, people are coming to me for them, my wisdom and my counsel, I'm just such a great person, you're off track, you're misaligned. They're not coming to you because of what you have. They're coming to you because of what they see in you through Jesus. And crowds gather where people are present. That's what it says in verse 2. It says in verse 2 that the people saw the miraculous signs that Jesus was doing and they came. They followed him. They saw that he had the power to supply their needs. They knew that he had something to offer that they had never seen. It's interesting. One commentator helps give or gives some insight into this by just explaining the, the use of the language and the tense of the verbs. And uh, it's very active. And so what it's really saying is that they kept coming because they continually saw what Jesus was habitually doing. 
It wasn't a one-time thing. It wasn't a show. But they kept coming because they continually saw what Jesus was habitually doing. Imagine if that becomes our lifestyle, that people are attracted to us because they see Jesus in us continually, that we are habitually practicing the works of Jesus in our life, and they continually see that. When that happens, or as that continues to happen, the region around us begins to change. Because people are taking note. They're saying, what is going on? People are looking for the love of Jesus. They may not know it. They may just think they're looking for love. But they're looking for only the love that Jesus can offer. That's the only love that will satisfy. People are looking for power. Maybe they're looking for power in the wrong places, but what people really need is the power that Jesus offers. People are looking for peace, and I think people wouldn't deny that. People are looking for peace, and there's only one true peace, and that's the peace of Jesus, that peace that passes all understanding. And those things are resident in us, and people are drawn to us when they see it. Um, When people continuously see... Uh, the work of Jesus in us and the miraculous happening in, in us, then here's what happens. The miraculous begins to flow through us. And when we talk about the miraculous, I believe that the miraculous can happen in really simple ways. It doesn't have to be something so large, but it's, it's a miracle when someone is drawn to the power of Jesus. It's a miracle when someone says, I want that. It's a miracle when, when someone would sacrifice their old life for a new life in Jesus Christ. As Jesus draws them to you, he will always do the miraculous through you if you're willing Uh, The disciples wanted Jesus to send the people away because of their need. But Jesus wanted to meet them at their point of need. Sometimes we want to, it's overwhelming. I don't know how to help them. Let's send them to somebody uh, other than me. And Jesus is saying, I want want to use you. I want to use you to meet that need. Or I want to use several of you to meet that need. Here's the second thing. Preparing the way for the miraculous means understanding that it will be necessary for God to stretch your faith. And he does so by calling us into situations that are beyond our natural abilities. Jesus presents us with situations that will grow our faith and reveal his greatness to us and others. It's interesting in verse 5. Um, he asked Philip, Philip, where could, we, where could we buy enough bread to feed all these people? Why did, why did the all-knowing God do that? He was testing him. He was, he, it was a test to stretch his faith. Jesus, it, the scripture says Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He already had a plan, but he wanted Philip to join him in that plan. And then for that to happen, Philip was going to have to have his faith stretched because now he was being called to, or the disciples were being called to something that was beyond their human abilities. How were they going to feed 5,000 plus people with very limited resources? Um, don't be surprised that as God calls you to the miraculous work through your life, that he doesn't say, so, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Jim, how are we going to do this? And he's not asking you because he woke up late one morning and he suddenly had a lapse of memory. And he's like, oh, 
I'm kind of brain fog today and I'm not thinking real good, so I need your help. No, he's asking because he wants to stretch your faith. He wants you to grow. He wants you to join in with him in becoming a solution. He was, he's clearing the way so that there's a clear path for the miraculous power of Jesus to flow through you and out to other people. God is never without a plan. And guess what? You will always get to be part of that plan. He wants the miraculous to flow through you. Why does God test us? It's not because he's so interested in what we have, but he's more interested in about what we are becoming. And what have we been called to become? We are called to be transformed into the image of the Father, and we do that through Jesus Christ because he is the exact image of his Father. So it's about transformation. That's the miracle that happens. Here's the third thing. Preparing the way for the miraculous means understanding that we cannot let big challenges cause us to lose sight of our big God. We cannot let big challenges cause us to lose sight of our big God. What did Philip do? In verse 7, Philip responds with logic. It would be more than eight months wages for us to come up with this. This this really isn't possible. Jesus, don't you see? Jesus, where's your logic? Why are you even asking this? Remember, Jesus already had a plan. Um, Too often, this is our human tendency. We respond with logic rather than faith, right? We respond with logic rather than faith. We get caught are paralyzed in analysis. We can think it to death. I can tell you all the reasons it can't happen. And so guess what? Nothing happens. We get paralyzed with paralysis instead of responding with faith. Uh, We look at what we have rather than the God who made what we have. Think about it. We look at what we have rather than looking at what the God who made what we have can do with what we have. Um, that's what Philip and that's what Andrew did uh, when, they, when, they, when they thought about the, the fish and the loaves. Uh, we, we let what we cannot do keep us from doing what we can do. Andrew said, well, it's, it's five loaves of bread and two fish, but really think about it. How far can that go? What he was saying, it was a rhetorical question. It's like not really very far. And so the resource was right there before them. And Philip and Andrew are saying, this isn't, this isn't possible. But, but Jesus knew greater. Finally, preparing, for, uh, preparing, preparing the way for the miraculous means understanding that the miraculous occurs when we are willing to join our faith with our action. It does require something of us. God wants to stretch our faith in the way he stretches our faith when we make a decision to join that faith and step out and take action. So uh, perhaps Jesus is the real hero of the story, but maybe coming in second is the little boy. This, this young boy who had two fish, and they were probably just real small pickled fish from everything that I can learn. And he had five loaves of barley bread. And just the fact that it was barley bread meant that it was, a, it was poor man's bread because it was made out of barley. And so it was a poor, poor man or a poor boy's offering. But what he did is he said, here. And even the little boy might have said, I don't know what you can do with it, but here. Maybe that's what we have to say is, here, God, this is all I have to offer. I'm not sure what you could do with it, but if you can do anything, do it. 
I'm willing. I'm going to join my faith and I'm going to put it into action. And so that's what the, the small boy did is he said, here. And Jesus took the resource that was available, as meager as it was, and he exponentially multiplied it so that more than 5,000 people were fed that day. In other words, more than 5,000 people had their needs met because Jesus had compassion on them. Maybe that's what it boils down to is compassion. It's maybe sometimes we don't join our faith in action because we're so busy, we, we're not compassionate. We just don't have time. We don't take the time. And I think for the miraculous to flow through us, we, we have to stop and we have to look at people and see the needs and we have to have compassion. And so today, I, I guess simply what I'm saying to you is that um, God has placed a call on your life. He's, you have a great future ahead of you. And I'm so glad that that great future involves Grace Covenant Church. But even if you weren't here, God still has placed a great future. He's planned a great future for you. God wants to do the miraculous through you. You say, me? Yes, you. God wants His miraculous power to flow through you. And it happens as you just say, here I am. Here's what I have. I don't have a plan, but you do. Stretch my faith. Test me. I'm not going to be fearful. I'm not going to be afraid. Our greatest places of challenge become God's greatest place of opportunity simply because we're willing. We have a great future ahead of us as a church. That future is about people. God wants to use us to change you know, here's what the word is. God wants to use us to change a nation. It's not just about a region even, but it begins here where we are. And it's by us just offering to God. So I want to pray for you. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for the power in that name. And Jesus, we thank you because you, uh, you love us so much. You love us so much you gave yourself. Father God, we thank you for the call that you've placed on our lives as individuals. Thank you for the miraculous power that you desire to flow through us. So I pray, Lord, that we would be people who are willing at all times, that we would continuously practice the presence of Jesus so that the miraculous could flow habitually through our lives and that people we encounter wherever we are in the world would be transformed through the power of Jesus. That signs and wonders would follow. Father God, we thank you that we have a great future ahead of us as a church. We thank you for the people that you're going to bring to us and that you're going to call us out to. And Father God, we do thank you that we have a building in our future that will allow opportunities for greater ministry, Father God. And we ask, Lord, that you would provide everything financially that is needed. We know you're going to provide that through us. So we just leave that with you. We offer that to you. But Lord, today we say, here we are. Please use us to change people through your power. I pray that over every person in this room, and I pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.